never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that is completely powered by the AllSpark. And we are not at all worried that our microphones are going to turn into little robots and try to kill us. My name <laughs> is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. What's up? <laughs> not much, man. How was your week? Uh, it's been a week. Um, it's. Uh, I know this episode's posted a little late, but, uh, you know, just enjoying holiday stuff with family and stuff. Um, you know, had two different uh, Thanksgiving celebrations to go to on different days and otherwise just been keeping myself busy. <laughs> How about you? Well, I. I had a really nice, relaxing six days off of work and then I had to go back to work and the first couple days were absolutely brutal just because I was exhausted. <laughs> and I don't know if it was getting back in the swing at work or if it was um, me throwing off my sleep schedule or not sleeping the couple nights going back into work for those first couple days. I don't know, but it's been a week, let me tell you. Fun. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> I know. Um, that's actually pretty funny, though, because uh, it's cool to hear that you had a relaxing break from work because uh, – Going into Thanksgiving weekend, that's actually what I was hoping for, was I was hoping for some, like, free time, and, you know, maybe I'd get some time to, like, watch something cool or play some video games or something, and it was just chock full, like, slammed with just either family obligations or preparing for said obligations, and uh, so I, I mean, I don't know if this is a good segue or not, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to talk about, but I literally am coming empty-handed, I didn't really watch and read much, unfortunately, uh, this past week, I don't know about you. <laughs> that, it's weird to hear you say. Um, yeah. So, then I get to come to the table and say that I watched a bunch of stuff. Nice. Um First off, I attempted to watch, and I say attempted because I'm still on the fence about it, a show on Apple TV called um, Hello Tomorrow. Um, I'm through the first three episodes. Yeah, three episodes, which is usually my barrier. And because uh, I usually give every show the minimum three episodes. I just don't know if they've hooked me yet. But let me give you the uh, premise for the show. It's basically about salesmen in a 1950s style era that are like door-to-door salesmen selling home opportunities like real estate. Okay. But they're selling real estate on the moon. Hmm. So the show itself is almost like the technology is very reminiscent of like the fallout video game series. So, like, 1950s technology, they have robots, they have hovering cars, they have some really cool, like, old-timey-looking 1950s science fiction kind of computers. Um, But 
they haven't gone through the fallout apocalypse yet and the salesmen are trying to sell real estate space up in outer space. It almost feels like a, if we were to do a live action version of the Jetsons, but make it old timey. <laughs> um, and it's not funny. So it's more of a drama. I really just don't know how I feel about it. And I'm kind of on the fence at the moment. Um, I'm not saying what I've seen is bad. It's got a decent cast. It's got uh, Allison Pill from uh, Newsroom. It's got Billy Cudrup from um, uh, Morning Show. It's got Hank Azaria in it. Um, there's definitely some stuff to the show that I was like, all right, let's check this out. I liked what I, what I liked when it started, and I've just been kind of meh about it. So I don't really know if I'm going to keep going. But, yeah, it's, it's almost like a cool, uh, like they did a really cool job world building, and then you just don't know if you're on board with the uh, main story of it, which is uh, kind of an interesting predicament that happens sometimes. But uh, it's yes. it sounds pretty cool. I guess you'll just have to let us know, you know, yeah. what you think as you get further into the series, you know. Or if I just bail. <laughs> that's the part that I haven't, <laughs> and that's the part that I haven't decided on yet. Um the other show that I watched on Apple TV, actually, I'll save this one for the end. Um, I jumped over to um, Netflix because David Fincher's The Killer dropped on Netflix. Um, this is his new, uh, the new David Fincher film that was a limited release in theaters, dropped on Netflix November 17th. It is about, it's uh, starring Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton, and um, I cannot remember the girl's name to be completely honest. Uh, but it's ultimately, do you know what this movie is? Have you seen the trailer for it before I go I, into it? I know that it's um, David Fincher. So I thought it looked, I thought I would like it, but I don't know anything okay. <laughs> further than that, unfortunately. Right. I don't want to spoil, spoil the movie, but um, it starts out very American Psycho. Um you know, at the beginning of American Psycho, when he wakes up and he's got that, you're hearing the monologue of like, every morning I wake up, I take a shower, I wash with this soap, I do this, I do this many push-ups, I do this many sit-ups, like going through that morning routine. Um, I absolutely, that that whole opening of American Psycho, like, I it just fascinates me that they would open a movie like that. And I, I love it. It's one of the coolest openings. And they did that with Christian Bale in American Psycho. And then Margot Robbie actually parodied it, parodied that for a commercial Um few years back but this opens in a very american psycho way with the internal monologue but it's michael fassbender as a contract killer who is prepping a kill he's prepping a hit basically and he um so he's going through this monologue about prep and isolation and loneliness and um making sure your equipment's good and making sure you're getting exercise while you're there so you see him doing yoga and like all this stuff while he's like basically staking out the place where he's going to do the hit mm -hmm. and then he's got to do the hit and it goes bad in the most i don't want to say unlikely way it's like realistic it really is it's a really realistic way that a hit could go bad but you're also like oh man what do you do now so he bails on the job because of how things went down and then he gets contacted that they're you know the handler's not happy that the job went bad and then uh, and that's like the opening of the movie. And then he goes home to try and like get some distance while he tries to figure out how this is going to play out. And someone has been to his home and beat the crap out of his girlfriend and destroyed his house. 
And he goes on a killing spree trying to get the people who did that to his girlfriend. Um, it's fantastic because they dive into that killer mentality of being a ghost and what is needed and what kind of prep. And they do the inner monologue throughout the whole film. And it's Michael Fassbender who could act his way out of anything. So it's 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 a I thought a lot of fun watching the movie. It was really, really good. Um, if you like David uh, Fincher, I feel like this harkens back to like. In terms of filmmaking, it really felt like David Fincher at his like at his roots back when he was doing like Fight Club and Seven and those types of films. Um, right. Yeah, it's 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 cool, dude. Watch it. I think I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, the other cool thing about it is David Fincher teaming up with Trent Reznor again for another Trent Reznor score. Um, nice. And uh, there is a section where. Uh, so there's a bunch of people involved. I don't want to spoil. I'm, I'm only it's not really a spoiler thing, but there's a handful of people involved in how they retaliated for him screwing up the hit. One of the guys, um, when David Fincher goes to kill him. Or confront him, however you want to word it. Uh, the score in that sequence was almost blood churning. Nice. Um, of him like sneaking through the house, trying not to get caught, trying to find the guy, opening the doors. You know, it was like the score itself was like you were on edge because of the score, on top of the intensity that was building in the scene. <laughs> it was incredible. And then later, there's another sequence where they like repeat that music, and you're just like, oh man, and you can just feel it while the music is building like there's not much going on on screen but you can feel it because of the intensity of the, of the score it's great um so yes check that out it's on netflix it's called the killer directed by david fincher michael fassbender's the lead and he's great as always so nice yeah that sounds yeah. that sounds great <laughs> all right the other thing that i checked out which i'm which i'm coming back to is another show that dropped on apple tv and you keep telling me i have access to apple so you need to get on this is the the first three episodes. So by the time this episode airs, the fourth episode will have dropped and I'll probably have seen it. But the first three episodes I was able to watch of Monarch, the Godzilla show. Yes, I had a feeling you were going to be bringing this one to the table. Um, yeah. So yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> um, so I don't want to spoil it, spoil it. But what really caught my attention right away is... The show opens with found footage from Skull Island. Nice. As in, as in from the helicopters that flew into Skull Island and got decimated by Kong in the movie Kong Skull Island. Okay, cool. That's how the movie opens with the found footage. And then there's a scene of John Goodman in that movie, like running through the forest, being chased by some creature. Um and he's got this like bag in his hand and he's trying to get the bag away and throws the bag in the ocean. And then he gets like miraculously saved instead of being killed by the creature. And then he turns around, like shoot, I threw the bag over the into the water. And then it comes down to where's the bag and. Uh, the bag gets picked up by a fisherman and then the bag gets moved to place to place to place and eventually it gets to where it's got to go, but that's when the mystery starts. So they start applying on the mystery of the fact that they talk about, and this is the cool thing. You got to remember that um, this is piggybacking off the Godzilla films we got. So Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Godzilla versus King Kong. But the one thing that I didn't think that they were going to touch on 
was Godzilla, the Matt Re- um, the Matt, um, not the Matt Reeves, the Gareth Edwards film, um, right? With uh, uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. That they talk about the attack on San Francisco. And it was really cool in dialogue. They're like, because someone, there was a, someone brought something up and they're like, well, it's not like San Francisco, how they made it a whole big hoax and it was all done with CGI. Because, you know, when you're on the other side of the world, when you're just like, that didn't really happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it was, it was, it was really kind of cool because that's when the mystery started. And you're like, what's really going on here? Because you have, you know, so um, I, I really think you would love it. You really would. And the uh, new kaijus that you've never seen before in the first couple episodes that you get to see. So there was two kaijus in the first episode. Yeah. It, right. And then that's all you got to see. It was like in the opening of the show. And then there was that. That was it for kaijus. And then in the second episode, you actually get to see Godzilla, but it's a flashback. Um, so you're just like, oh, that's Godzilla. That's cool. Because it was during World War Two when they were testing the nuclear weapons that were drawing him out. Um, so you get to see this cool flashback with him and then that's it. And then you don't get to see another kaiju until the end of the third episode. So there's like all this downtime because they're clearly building to the spectacle of what these creatures are. Um, but how the world shaped around the now knowing the existence of these things, you know what I mean? Like, it's really cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't don't know. I'm, I'm really digging the show. I just don't want, if I say too much, it'll spoil it. And I don't, you know. So I gotcha. that's that's cool, though. I really like how these um, like these uh, legendary pictures, um, uh, you know, Godzilla monster verse sort of movies are um, they are obviously bringing in like uh, King Ghidorah, um, you know, like Mothra, like they're bringing in old monsters that we know and love. But I do think it's cool that they are establishing new new kaiju like um you know, you mentioned the 2014 Godzilla film by uh, Gareth Edwards. The uh, I, I don't the main antagonist monsters from that movie were completely brand new. And uh, those specific monsters, I can't remember what they were called. I don't know if I was fully on board with them. But then when you go to uh, Kong Skull Island and like the main sort of kaiju monsters that uh, Kong had to fight off, those things looked awesome, which it sounds like the opening oh, those, scene. Like- the series crawlers or whatever they call them yeah i don't know <laughs> like the weird... they were skull crawlers because my john c Riley yeah. was so funny they're called skull crawlers i really want to say that's what they were called um <laughs> that's what they looked like because he like... gave them the name too like <laughs> well yeah they had like this exterior like skull and they looked like these weird crawling like lizard things and uh they just looked awesome and distinct so uh and there's a lot of really great just sort of action scenes with them especially the big like end fight scene from that movie but uh yeah this sounds promising um i definitely want to check this out i just haven't had the time yet but uh no this is definitely on my list because uh i've been hearing nothing but good things to be honest all right so get yourself your access to apple tv because you got to watch ted lasso you got to watch my gotta watch monarch you have to watch upload because i finished I finished upload season three, so I'm all the way caught up to when they until they drop the next episodes. Um, that show, in my opinion, got really cool, too, um, because of what they were clearly like the the pokes at the Internet, the uh, jokes at how our technology is moving towards this kind of stuff. It was there's 
it's really, really cool what they're doing with that and the uh, message that they're trying to get across. So, um, yeah, that's another one you got to check out as well. That one's on Prime, though. Um, so, yeah, check that out. But Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out, too. <laughs> There's a lot on the list. <laughs> so. there, there should be, because there's actually a lot of content. And this is just me, like, what else is there to watch since we didn't have anything because of the strike, and now we're getting smacked in the face with stuff coming out. So, yeah, but yeah, that's my watching uh, for the break itself. Um, yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, uh, let's move into news, shall we? Because we got a bunch of that stuff, too. Um, all right, so yeah, there's a bunch of stuff smacking us in the face for news again. Some of this is quick, um, but let's see uh, what we got here. So real quick, Tim Allen says that Disney has reached out to him and Tom Hanks for Toy Story 5. Um, this doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Uh, I did hear a, it was an internet theory rumor about how the plot synopsis for Toy Story 5. And it was all about um, having to go back and get Woody. And um, it was all about how um, Bonnie uh, was growing up and she was now leaving for college and had to get rid of the toys. But Andy at this point is now having kids and she reaches out to him to try and get the toys back to Andy. And the toys being all excited are like, well, crap, we're going back to Andy. We got to we got to go find Woody. Because Woody left at the end of Toy Story 4. <laughs> you know, so they go on this grand quest to go find Woody. If that's the plot, I'm in. Because that just sounds amazing. But that was like this weird internet fan theory, I think, from what I was reading. So I don't know if that's real or not. But, dude, if that's what they're doing, this is going to be great. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, the plot syn- synopsis doesn't sound um, unpromising. It's just one of those, like... How many Toy Story movies are they going to make and are they really needed? But at the same time, I feel like Toy Story is kind of like a uh, it's like a sure thing for Disney Pixar. Like it's they know it's going to do well if they release another movie. Um, I know like Elemental seem to do have like mixed results as far as the box office and stuff. And uh, some of their other movies have had like mixed results. So it's kind of like. I know we've talked about Toy Story 3 was almost like a perfect like send off for these characters, but then I can also see why they would keep going back to that well. And uh, I think I'm just going to need to see more to like have my own personal opinions on it. You know what I mean? Like I'll have to see a trailer, but it doesn't sound like a bad idea as far as the premise goes. No, not at all. If that's real. Uh, (laughs) True. true. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, all right. Uh, so last week we talked about, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but the girl from Scream that is dropping out of the movie. Um, yeah. Oh, Melissa Barrera. Um, she was dropped from Scream 7 due to some uh, social media posts she made about the uh, war in Israel. And um, that stuff is how you get fired real fast from movies. Just as Megan Fox, that's how she got dropped from the Transformer franchise. She made some comments that some people were not happy about. And that's, you know, there wasn't an Israel war going on, but she made some comments that she shouldn't have. And that's how that happened. Um, But apparently Jenna Ortega has completely dropped out of screen seven as well due to scheduling conflicts with Wednesday. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So (laughs) 
So I don't know what's going on with Scream 7. Scream 7. That doesn't mean Jenna Ortega can't be back for like a Scream 8, but right now reports say she's dropped out. Um, the interesting thing about it is because of this, Scream 7 is reportedly heading back to the drawing board and may include Nev Campbell as filmmakers are weighing in options following the high profile of the exit for Scream 6. Um, bringing her back to wrap up. So when you think about it, if you're going to wrap this up, Screams 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and you roll it into 7, um, and you, let's say you made a 7-movie run and you closed it out with Nev Campbell back at the original, that'd be kind of cool. Like, of course, we all want Scream 20. We want to go to space. We want to go. We want to do Scream in the Hood. We want to go to space. You know, like... We want <laughs> we want to do screen Ghostface first Freddy. That's going to happen. You know, that's the only way to do it, right? Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up Freddy because that's the original. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies had like they had like their original like seven core movies, and especially the seventh one got super meta and super weird, but really cool. And then they did do Freddy versus Jason, and there there was the re reboot. But when it comes to the actual like proper like series you have those seven movies and this would be kind of like an interesting um similar structure you know from another uh west craven property so yeah uh, and i was trying to make the joke on uh, leprechaun too because they had leprechaun in the hood and leprechaun in space and you know i mean so and we we had and we had jason x which was in outer space um and then i don't aside from freddy versus jason i don't think freddy has gone to space yet so but a lot of, <laughs> not that we need to, but I'm down with Nev Campbell coming back. I have no problem there. I just was like, holy cow, we're losing screen actors. What's going on? Yeah, so I think um, the one girl who um, had the comments about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I can't remember the actress's name either, but so she dropped out and she was one of the main actors in this new Scream franchise. And then we heard Nev Campbell wasn't, wasn't coming back and then now with jenna ortega dropping out which is these you're having like your biggest stars from this movie dropping out due to either schedule conflicts or other reasons and honestly going back to the drawing board might be a good thing in this case you know i i think we've talked before on the show about how like We'd rather have just a good product delivered than have them rush something that's subpar just to give us content. And it's like if they take an extra year or two, but then they give us like the best Scream sequel we can get, I'd rather do that, you know, and I'd I'd rather see some of these actors come back and especially uh, Jenny or, or Jenna Ortega. She's kind of got like so much star power right now. Like, I feel like she's the biggest like it girl at the moment. And like, I don't think they want her to you know, not be in the next Scream movie. Like, that would seem crazy to me, you know? I know. Um, so we'll sh- we'll see what happens with Scream. Um, I hope nothing horrible happens, but yeah. Um, another scary movie news. Tim Burton announces Beetlejuice 2 has completed filming. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. And your reaction is the exact same reaction I had when I was like, holy crap. Like, I feel like they just started Exactly. (laughs) I literally feel like they just started. So we shouldn't be seeing that too much longer. We're we're about a year out. It's still um, it's on track for a scheduled uh, September 6th release date for 2024. Um, So, yeah, we uh, we we got that going on. Um, We live in such 
weird times right now. Sorry to derail, but like ever since COVID and all the delays and just the craziness of that, and then with the writer strike, we live in such a weird time when it comes to looking at entertainments because you never know what's filming what's not what's being delayed and then when stuff finally comes out you're like what i thought they were in pre-production you know it's just so it's been so weird for the last couple years (laughs) you know it has been and i'm so glad you said that because there's a there's a story here that made me go we haven't talked about this in a while but it is moving forward and it's exciting (laughs) okay all right but we'll get to that one in a minute because that might be my favorite story of the the week um okay uh, Naruto, 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 live action film for Netflix. Um, I don't know if I remembered them announcing that they was coming, but I feel like if we talked about it, it was brief because it was like, hey, it's coming, but we didn't know anything. Um, you know how we have a animated Tomb Raider show coming for Netflix? Yes. Okay. Tomb Raider series showrunner Tasha Ho, Hio. Ooh, I, you know what? I'm totally butchering the last name but she is going to be um the writer for the naruto uh live action film so um the trailer for uh tomb raider animated looks great <laughs> um but that's really all i can say about that so um but yeah they they found their writer so let's get that one moving um star wars this is going to be a year for star wars um, yeah, I know we got Ahsoka last year, uh, or this year, but we got five Star Wars shows are reportedly dropping in 2024. Um, we got, um, Star Wars Skeleton Crew, which is the next part of that, uh, Mandalorian area, uh, era stuff, which is, you know, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Ahsoka. We have Skeleton Crew dropping, with that's the Jude Law show. We got the Acolyte, which is going to be pre-Star Wars Episode One about the Sith Empire. We have Bad Batch Season 3, Andor Season 2, and Tales of the Jedi Season 2. Um, Tales of the Jedi Season 2 will be the shortest of them because that's like the little shorts. But um, Bad Batch Season 3, Andor Season 2, Acolyte, and Skeleton Crew. That's a lot of Star Wars just for 2024, but that they're all slated for 2024 releases. Um, crazy it sounds like a a marvel tv show release schedule (laughs) that sounds awesome it Um, does hope it doesn't um that doesn't get messed up (laughs) um since you brought up marvel let's talk about that real quick um avengers kang dynasty is still in flux so we talked about how kang was potentially being dropped altogether as a um, Marvel villain, and they'd be shifting gears to Doctor Doom. I don't see a problem with that. I'd love to see the Kang thing play out because I think they were building something really cool. But at the same time, if you read Secret Wars, Doctor Doom kills Kang pretty darn quick because he thinks he's annoying. Um, <laughs> so I'm down for a Doctor Doom sh- Doom shift. Um, but the Kang Dynasty movie is still in the works, and um. Loki uh, screenwriter, well, Loki series creator Matt Walden has been chosen as the film's writer and will also tackle Avengers Secret Wars. So the guy who wrote Loki will be um, jumping or who created the Loki show will be writing both of the next two Avengers films. Yeah, sounds awesome. Um, That also could been that also could be fluidity, too, when you think about what Russo brothers were doing prior to writing Endgame and 
Infinity War. You know what I mean? So well, I just feel like through both seasons of Loki, um, he's like shown that he can handle like these kind of pretty big esoteric epic concepts. So uh, that's pretty great. And related to the uh, Doctor Doom angle, it actually reminds me of And this I'm going to try to keep this tangent as short as possible. But one of my favorite animes that I've mentioned before on the show is this uh anime and manga called bakuman that's about the creation of manga you know it's a manga about the creation of comics and it talks about the creative process and the commercialized aspect of selling comics and like a lot of that stuff like super in depth but one of the lines that i always thought was interesting was they said one of the editors in the like the edit one of the editor characters in the series says if your manga is not doing well and people don't seem to be jumping on board with it one of the best things you can do is kill the main villain and bring in a bigger, badder villain. <laughs> I thought that was really <laughs> funny. But thinking about this Kang Doctor Doom situation, that might be literally what they do at the MCU. So it's kind of cool to see that happen in real time if that is what's going to take place. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that actually, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all right. Well, also in Marvel news, this is great. Remember how we, there are, okay. There's been a lot of casting rumors for Deadpool 3. And there's been a lot of, oh, they're pulling this guy out of the works and this girl out of the works. And this is going to be great. There was a rumor back in the day uh, when the news first broke in July this year. Ryan Reynolds studio, Maximum Effort, seemed to confirm Jennifer Gardner appearancing appearance with a tweet that read, Moms of future past, welcome to Deadpool, Jennifer Gardner. But the, okay. tweet, but the tweet has since been deleted. Jennifer Gardner's reaction to the Deadpool 3 rumors were, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. (laughs) So we don't know if Jennifer Gardner is coming back as Elektra for Deadpool 3. Um, She might be. She might not be. Um, That's all I can say about that. So, yeah, really interesting. Either way, Deadpool 3 is going to have so many cameos, it's going to be hard to keep track of it all. But I also think that um, after seeing Infinity War and Endgame, they've shown us that you can have a movie with 40-some characters or whatever, uh, or superhero characters, that you it can be done, it can be done and it can work well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But um, I don't know, Elektra isn't the character that I'm clamoring the most <laughs> Or coming back, at least Jennifer Garner's version of her. But, I mean, still cool, still interesting, you know. <laughs> right. We shall see. Um, all right. Um, as we continue on, uh, we are getting close to Christmas. And this is something I, I, I'm not surprised, but it's also like, this sounds great. Uh, Die Hard will be returning to theaters just in time for the annual debate over whether the movie is a classic, classic Christmas movie or not. Um Check your local theaters for that, because I don't know where it's going just yet, but Die Hard will be returning back to theaters. The reason I bring this up is because I've never seen this in a theater, and this might actually be kind of a fun, hey, let's go watch a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, That's awesome. <laughs> kind of a plug. So, uh, my, my work actually did a uh, Christmas party uh, a couple years ago where they rented out a movie theater, and we watched Die Hard, and... Uh, it was pretty awesome. It was an awesome company Christmas party, and I loved seeing it on big screen. So, uh, yeah, that'll be awesome when this actually comes yeah. out. Now, Peter, there is something to be said about owning physical media when it comes to movies. 
um, and music and books and comics and stuff like that. Um, I'm a, I, if I could live in a library, I would, I know I've said that before. I absolutely love having a ton of books around me or a ton of movies or whatever that I love having the library of things to choose from. I, and I know we're all moving away from that. We're all moving into the digital space where we can use Netflix and HBO max and Disney plus and stuff, but I love having the physical media. Now, I very drastically have slowed down. I don't buy movies the way I used to because I like buying physical copies. I like having all the Star Wars movies on the shelf. I love the fact that I have all the Marvel films lined up on the shelf. I love the fact that I have the all the seasons of Game of Thrones on Blu-ray. I know I can stream them. It's easy. However, apparently Oppenheimer... The, the Blu-ray releases are selling out faster than retailers can keep up with the copies. Um, and Universal has had to release a statement that's saying they're working quickly to replenish stock. Um, I think this is awesome. Um, and it makes me go for a movie that I was on the fence of buying. makes me feel like I really want to get it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, just to have it in my collection. I was probably going to buy it anyway, but like... That's awesome that they're actually selling out of that. Um, and like I said, there's something to be said about owning physical media. And uh, one of these days, you know, that Internet, you never know. It goes down. I'm going to have a blockbuster in my house. So <laughs> it's so funny because uh, I've had this conversation with like multiple people within the last week. <laughs> and actually, I keep here. I keep seeing it come up online, too, is just like there seems to be like this resurgence of uh, people wanting to have physical media. And I mean, that comes from a million different reasons. Like I know there's a lot of people who gripe about streaming services, like re-editing things, um, like whether to make things more PC or something like that. Like I know mm -hmm. at our house, we, we watched uh, Adventures in Babysitting pretty recently. And it was kind of crazy to watch the movie because it we watched it on Disney Plus and uh, they didn't really, as far as I know, edit a lot of it down, but every swear word in the movie was uh, overdubbed. And it was really weird to watch the movie where, like, for example, like a character says asshole at one part at one part and they changed it to air, airhead. And it didn't like necessarily disrupt the movie watching experience. But at the same time, I was like, well, if I had this on physical media, we could just be watching the original version. And that would have been pretty great. And I keep seeing this come up, but it's so weird with uh, with streaming right now, because like so like Blue Beetle is streaming on HBO Max. And I feel like if this was like five or ten years ago, I probably would own a at least a DVD copy of Blue Beetle because I like the movie enough that I'd like to own it. But nowadays, I'm just like, man, it's just on HBO Max waiting for me. Like, <laughs> do I need to actually buy it? But with that in mind, what's the coolest part about this story is with Oppenheimer, it's just showing that, like, if you make a product good enough, people are still going to want to buy it. And I think that's the Correct. coolest takeaway. Like, as long as the entertainment is has that timeless quality, it has that quality and attention to detail and it's a, just a good product people are still going to want a physical copy and uh that kind of restores my hope in the world at least momentarily <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> buying physical dvds restores your hope in the world <laughs> a little bit to yeah. be honest. <laughs> no i hear you all right time for my two favorite stories of the night we haven't talked about these in a while, so I'm glad we got through the news that we did because it's time to strap in because this I'm excited about. First off, we haven't talked about this in a while, but do you remember that 
Amazon Prime is making a Fallout television series. Yeah. Do you remember, yeah. Do you remember I'm, talking about this? Right. I've a couple times, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, there hasn't been a trailer dropped yet, but they have been dropping images um, from the set because they've apparently wrapped filming and we're, uh, like, on the eve of a trailer dropping. Um, so Fallout's first uh, look images have been dropping. There's an image of the power armor. There's an images of some of the vault survivors. There's a couple images of the, um, oh, I'm drawing a complete blank on what they're called. The, like, the zombie people that still live, the, the ones who've been scarred by the nuclear waste and all that stuff that are, like, still surviving. There's a couple images of them, um, the world that you live in and stuff. It looks fantastic. Like, when you just look at the care that they took to get that power armor right, it's like, this show is going to be amazing and i can't wait um i don't know if you've had a chance to see these i don't know if you knew that this dropped but i've been seeing images like all week um yeah or if yeah, you're googling, I, you're I googling it right now <laughs> yeah i'm kind of doing that um i haven't been following this super closely just because i'm like not the biggest fallout fan but uh i'm actually looking at stuff right oh now. the ghouls that's what they are the ghouls Yes. Yes, I was gonna say the ghouls, but yeah, That's I mean, right. it looks pretty sweet. I really love this. Uh, some of these pictures of the this uh, armor just looks badass. So uh, yeah, right. good stuff. Did you have any like sort of in depth thoughts on uh, how no, this is? I'm just I'm just excited about it because this feels. First off, it what we can physically see right now looks great, and we're not even getting a trailer. These are just images, but this is something fresh. You know, I mean, I've played the Fallout video games, but in terms of like watching something on TV and getting sucked into a story and stuff, this is something fresh and new. Um, and I think there's an audience out there that's going to be like, what is this? And this, you know, if done right, Fallout could become like one of those next great, fantastic stories that people get sucked into the way we all did at the beginning of Walking Dead, you know, um, because of what the story is about. So, you know, yeah. Know. And even though I've played the video game, that doesn't mean I have the foggiest clue what story they're going to tell because of how massive that game is and the amount of side quests and all that stuff. They could be could be a completely original story, and I just know the world because I played the video game at some point, you know? Yeah. Uh, Fallout, and correct me if I've, I'm wrong, but that it's a series that goes, like, it's been around for a while, right? So they've got yeah. a lot of source material. Yep, yep. That they could go off of, so. Yep. All right, and then I apologize. One more story before my favorite one. Um, Oscars dropped their um, uh, date for March 10th. Uh, it's going to be an interesting Oscars because we had the strike. Not as many movies released as everything everyone thought they were going to because they couldn't get movies out, so the normal Oscar push is different. Um, so we shall see what we get for nominations. Um, I really feel like we're down to Oppenheimer and Barbie, to be completely honest. I, <laughs> we don't really know what's about to happen here. Um, and I guarantee uh, Ken will get the Ken song from Barbie is going to get a best uh, original song nomination just so we can hear it performed live on stage, along with Jack Black's Peaches from Super Mario Brothers. Oh, of course. Yeah. Just saying. Um, and then I honestly hope that Super Mario Brothers, to be completely honest, takes the cake for best animated film, because I think that's better than any Disney movie that was released this year. Just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it's one of my favorites. And with the song, the best song nominations, I think you nailed it right there, Drew. I feel like 
both of those examples were definitely like those were the songs of the past year when it comes to movies and what the culture at wide actually embraced you know but uh now you off uh you can keep going <laughs> fine. i don't even think i need i don't know who i would want to win that it's more of a want to see him performed live you know um <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but if the oscars is starting march 10th that means we have a deadline for us to figure out what our favorite movies of 2023 was so because we always save that episode of our show for after the oscars so right yeah. on yeah all right so time for my favorite story and this is a two-parter okay something we have not talked about in a really long time is xenomorphs and i know you're gonna say that and go what are you talking about we talk about xenomorphs every now and then what we don't talk about in a while is the fact that there is a alien television series coming that keeps going up and down and sometimes you think it's gone and canceled but apparently it's still in the works um the reason i bring this up is because uh timothy oliphant is joining <laughs> this cat is joining the cast um oh. And apparently in a major role. Okay. Uh, and it looks like he's playing a uh, synth uh, named Kirsch, which is a, uh, basically he'd be a android like Bishop was in the second Alien film. Um, I don't know what that means because there's not a lot of story details yet. There's no, not a lot of time period stuff set, but we're getting an Alien TV series like we've talked about before, but we got a nugget of news, which we don't normally get. The one that I'm really excited about is we got Alien Romulus, which is the Hulu film that's going to be straight to Hulu the way Prey was for Predator. Um, but we got a title. It's called Alien Romulus. Awesome. Um, some stuff was revealed about this. Alien Romulus sits in the franchise's timeline. Um, Variety reports it's supposed to slot in between the first movie and the second movie. So they brought in, so they brought in the same team from aliens, the James Cameron film, the same people who built those xenomorphs actually came in and built ours. So we're getting to see the original design with the original people who've been working on these films for 45 plus years. And it's been such, and so much of their life has been really incredible. Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's really great about this is if it's set between the, the original alien film and the second one aliens, where do you think the aliens are going to be attacking people? Yeah. Any guesses? (laughs) It'd be LV. It'd be LV 427. The planet where they, thought they just like where they left the bone ship so in the first movie they find the bone ship they take the egg they get the alien whatever sigourney weaver gets back she says they need to go back and destroy the bone ship and they're like well there's been a colony living on the planet for so long so this could be the story of the terraformers who land on the planet to start working and they come across the aliens and the aliens decimate the colony which would lead right up to the second film of the marines having to go in yeah that's uh that's a good call that's uh and i I, and i don't think we need to recast newt she could be an introduction for the second movie leave that one alone don't do that to us but this could be really really cool (laughs) in terms of alien survival um no it it sounds awesome it sounds like um 
I don't know. It's I'm excited to see it, and I'm excited to see. I I want to see how they justify like, because it's obviously going to be a really cool chapter of this sort of alien mythos to witness. But I want to see how they justify like, what are we going to learn new about the xenomorphs? What like how is this going to supplement? all the material that's there and you know i want to see is this going to be more of just like a fun little adventure they throw in or is this going to be something that's really integral when it comes to the storyline and the uh, concepts and the evolution of the xenomorphs and the series as a whole and uh, that's going to be really exciting to see and um i mean i might be wrong but i feel like ridley scott is kind of still overseeing all this stuff right um, I don't know where he draws the line in terms of overseeing versus checking things out and saying looks great because he's made <laughs> because he's made comments in the fact that this looks fantastic. Everyone's going to be excited yeah. for it. Um, I'm behind this. This looks great. Like he's made comments like that, but I don't know where like where does he fall with that? You know? Yeah. And I feel the reason I bring that up is because I feel like watching um, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, it's like very clear that. Ridley Scott has a strong vision for where the Alien series is going right now. And um, he has big picture concepts in mind when it comes to the evolution of the species, how this impacts like the universe as a whole. Like he has really big concepts. And I feel like every movie we just get a taste. We get like a little sniglet of what he's kind of revealing. So that's, that's the only reason I bring it up, but uh, it sounds like really promising stuff. So this will be great. Agreed. And I want more Xenomorphs, man. Like this is, I'm just, I'm excited because again, this is a callback to something we haven't gotten in a while. I know we got Prometheus and we got alien covenant and I loved them both. Um, I, I haven't watched alien covenant nearly as many times as I've watched some of the other ones. Um, yeah. or near, near, nor how many times I watched, uh, uh, Prometheus, because I was trying to understand Prometheus, but um, <laughs> Promethe- well, Prometheus was uh, very complicated in terms of subject matter, but I thought it was pretty darn good, and I got it, but it was also like, this. it's so layered that it takes, you know, um, a handful of times watching it. I remember um, there's an interview with Damon Lindelof where he was talking about people telling him that he didn't, they didn't like the movie. Like, they would come up to him and go, we don't like the movie. And he said that one guy said, I didn't like the movie so much that I watched it five times to make sure that I knew I hated it. (laughs) And you're like, well, thanks for going to the movie five times. (laughs) (laughs) That is that's hilarious. Right. Um, But no, I thought Prometheus was really good. I thought Alien Covenant was really good. And I was like, well, are we getting more? And then I felt like there was a done thing. Like, no, we're not getting any more aliens for a while. And now we're getting it. So. Yes. I, I'm kind of on the same page. Alien Covenant, I thought was really solid. Prometheus, I think is uh, the story's awesome. I think the concepts are awesome. I think it really was ambitious with the stuff it was trying to do. I think there's just a couple character moments in the movie that was a little hard for certain audience members to get on board with when it comes to um, just maybe people doing things that people didn't think was that logical, you know, like uh you know, why is this like 
scientific researcher on another planet, uh, you know, kind of pretty haphazardly choosing to take off his helmet in a really reckless way. Stuff like that sometimes is hard to get on board with. But to me, Prometheus was awesome. Like, I think the story at the core of it was great and uh, really was like kind of a cool glimpse into the like promising direction they wanted to take these alien movies. So I didn't really have any big complaints, you know. Sure. Um, well, yeah. All right, man. Well, do you want to talk about tonight's list? Because that's the end of the news. Yeah, yeah, we can go for it. All right. So we're going to talk about the list and uh, we'll be right back. And now for the top five. Okay, Peter, um, this was your pick. Um, why don't you tell us all what we were doing last week <laughs> or this week or what we've been pouring over all week long trying to figure out what our list is? Yeah, so um, this one's kind of a weird pick, but I feel like it kind of goes back to like a lot of I feel like this concept I just keep seeing come up, whether it comes to like the uh Disney live action adaptations and like who they are casting as certain characters and you know these Disney reboots or um, like we just had uh, Scott Pilgrim takes off on Netflix come back and that's like an animated series with uh, this original live action cast coming back to do the voice work of this uh, animated series and uh, I don't know what it was I just thought it'd be fun to talk about our top five favorite performance actor performances um in live action that are representing 2d characters <laughs> so i feel like that's a bit of a mouthful and i think i worded it better next or last week but essentially we're just looking at like comic book cartoon video game characters uh etc etc we're looking at these characters that uh through movies or tv series or whatever they've brought to life in live action and uh what actors we think pulled off those roles as best as possible. And uh, with all that being said, all of my picks are actually movie picks, I'm pretty sure. And um, I I didn't have too much trouble with this list. What's that? Go ahead, continue, and I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have too much trouble with this list. Um, my biggest issue was... When it comes to, uh, so for example, there's a lot of classic cartoon movies that they've turned, or classic cartoons that they've turned into live action movies, and you have stuff like Scooby-Doo, or, you know, the Flintstones, or like a lot of those tend to be kids' properties, and there's a lot of video game movies that aren't really that good, <laughs> and aren't necessarily known for having the best actors, and my problem with this list is I kept coming back to those comic book roles. And I feel like I picked way too many comic book movie actors. And I didn't set out to do that, but when it came to like, which actors played these characters like so spot on, I kept going back to a lot of the comic book actors uh, that we all know and love. So that was my issue with the list. But uh, Drew, what were you saying? What are uh, uh, your thoughts here? <laughs> yeah, I got... Um... I feel like I did the list completely wrong because first off, I wasn't thinking about actors at all. I was thinking about representation and adaptation as a whole. Okay. Uh, okay. 
So when I was like, when I was like, so for example, I picked one that's been played by several actors and, but I didn't choose the actor. I was looking at it going, okay, 2D character translated here, translated here, representation, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of the process I was going with. And then I was like, and then there was one I have that, okay, 2D character, live action representation. I don't know who played him and I don't really care because the representation was phenomenal. The way the character looked, the adaptation to screen, you know, that kind of thing. So I feel like I tackled the list differently, but I had a hell of a time putting this together, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right on. (laughs) um, That being said, I do not have any honorable mentions because I had a ridiculous time putting this together. Okay. Um, I had two. Um, I, I did when I did select this list, I was thinking of specific actors and how how well they portrayed these characters, but I might have not made that super clear. And also, I think the way you address the list sounds really interesting. So I'm really curious how you go through that. But right, well, um, two of them are cheats. Let's be real. But go- OK, <laughs> so and I, I say two, and I say two of them are cheats because. I couldn't choose one specific character because of how well I thought it was translated as a whole to live action. And I think you'll understand when I start talking about it. But um, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Um, Yeah, I guess I can go and uh, I could uh, go through my honorable mentions and try to keep them pretty quick. Sure. Um, But the first uh, performance I wrote down as an honorable mention was, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so my apologies, but the actor is uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, and he's the actor who played Shang Tsung in the original Mortal Kombat movie. And... uh, this, I feel like when you go back to that original Mortal Kombat, I feel like Shang Tsung had all the best lines. Like, I love some of his character moments. He had the most memorable lines. And he also had just, like, such a bombastic, just memorable performance. Like, I remember there was times uh, working retail when... Uh, <laughs> I remember working in the back room of a uh, retail store and uh, me and the guys I was working back there were making Mortal Kombat jokes. But so many of our jokes went back to Shang Tsung lines, whether it goes to like the whole like it has begun thing. And like there's so many great moments with this character. And I feel like as an actor, his performance was like. He's like one of those guys who just like bought in completely. He was going to give you the most believable performance he could, even though it was over top, over the top at points. Like he was really selling that character so much. And I feel like he made the movie in a lot of different ways. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the first one I went. With, so, OK, and that's a uh, quality pick. Um, they chose a great actor for him. Um, I feel like he's anytime they have to do anything Japanese related he's going to be in it um and I remember seeing him and every time I see him pop up I always think of Shang Sun um doesn't matter where he pops up because he he did an episode of Stargate um and I'm like where else did I've seen him and he pops up every now and then and you're just like hey it's that guy from Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah even he's, he also has like a really cool voice too and I feel he like does. he he does pop up in a lot of like martial arts films and stuff but I feel like 
people don't always think about like how cool his voice is when he says like your soul is mine and stuff like he has such a cool uh just a cool presence so um and then the next one i went with and this one is out of left field i don't know what it was but i kept coming back to this pick and uh that is the actress uh Ellen Wong with her performance as Knives Chow in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And the reason I say this is off the wall, because this is the character where you watch the movie and Knives is Scott's high school boy or girlfriend in the movie. And she is kind of a side character and stuff, but I kept thinking about her performance and how, like just how dedicated I think she was to this character and how much like, Again, she fully bought in. She was exactly what that character was supposed to be. She played it all so believable. She was like Scott Pilgrim's biggest fangirl. And she's also like, it's a really like funny performance too when you watch it. And I I don't know if it's because I just watched Scott Pilgrim's take Scott Pilgrim takes off, but I kept going back to that movie and I'm like, this is one of my favorite movies. And which actor do I think played their role the best and I kept thinking about it I was like I think Ellen Wong's Knife Chow performance is probably really underrated but she just played it so believably like I kept coming back to it so I think this one's off the wall and kind of funny but I just couldn't ignore it when I was putting the list together you know what I mean yeah her performance in the movie is great because and I think one of the reasons actually so her performance lends i think to a lot of everyone else's performance in the movie where they played it straight yeah exactly everyone plays it straight it's not a comedy but there's stuff that that just kills you every time like even when they're doing the goofy stuff with the screen where like aubrey plaza is like yelling at scott pilgrim and they're censoring her mouth and he's like how are you doing that with your mouth and she's like don't don't (laughs) effing worry about how i'm doing that with my mouth um but she plays it straight. She doesn't laugh. She doesn't break. It just kind of scrolls through. But there's so many moments of that, not just with, you know, Knives Chow, but with every character in the film. Um, but her performance there, she has some so many great moments in the movie that make me laugh out loud because of how well it's put together. Not just her acting, but how the sc- the scene is constructed as well. So like, she really played up certain things. I love when she like, I love the bit when she's dying her hair and she's like screaming into the bathtub and her friend's like, I can't even understand what you're saying. And like, <laughs> you know, um, she's retaliating against uh, Ramona and, you know, Ramona doesn't realize it, but you know what I mean? Like it's, there's so much, there's so many good things that she does, but then you look at the cast as a whole, look at America, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. She had, a lot of heavy lifting. And when I watch like Scott Pilgrim takes off or I read the comic, that's the voice I hear. Um, right, right. You know, when I look at Scott Pilgrim, the only thing that I don't like about Michael Sarah's performance in comparison to how Scott is portrayed in the comic is I feel like Scott in the comic is a little bit more of a tough guy compared to Scott Pilgrim's character. Just a tad. Um, or it's the fact that Scott Pilgrim in the comic is a little cooler <laughs> than Michael Sarah is. Yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> I've, that's, I've heard people say like cooler, but also dumber. And, uh, no, Michael Sarah does have a little bit of a specific take. And I think it's just because it is Michael Sarah playing that character, but, uh, no, keep going. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what I was going to say was this lends me to my first pick of the night as Scott Pilgrim as a whole for live action adaptation. Um, when you're looking at Brie Larson as, um, as NV yeah. or as Envy Adams or Brandon Ralph as the other as the vegan or Chris Evans, Lucas Lee. I mean, come on, man. This is so like, you know, it's called a grind, bro. Um, there's so many like good stuff in there that you're just like, I don't think it could have been casted any better. And it just, it's fantastic. It's almost like you look at, it's like they looked at the page and went, hey, that looks like Brandon Routh. Get him on the phone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) It's so crazy because it's like, if you look at Scott Pilgrim, like, I feel like it's one of those like it lists of like a lot of hot up and coming actors from like the early 2010s. And uh, it does seem like everybody just fit in the role so well. And it's just so weird that like because of the timing of it and the actors they were able to get, they got all these soon to be household name actors to step into these roles. But somehow they were just casted. They were like perfect castings, too. And I don't know if that's like the magic of the performances, if the, if it's the magic of uh, Edgar Wright, if it's the magic of the casting director, like it's probably a lot of that all put together. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how that all played out, you know, being able to look at, look back at that movie like 10 years or so later, like how, I don't know, how all those actors progressed through their, their career and everything. It's really interesting. Well, that, but it's also like, and this comes back to also Edgar Wright understanding how to put that piece of uh, pop culture together and understanding what needed to be done when you look at how, because I did read a little bit of the comics before, like I watched the movie for sure, read a little bit of the comics then the show came out, so I've seen that. When you look at just the adaptation from page to screen, because they went straight to live action, um, Edgar Wright having an understanding of the source material makes a huge difference in how well they put that on screen. Um, so, yeah, that's it's kind of my cheat because I couldn't narrow it down to one character. I'm like, well, Scott Pilgrim as a whole, man, you want to talk about live action adaptations of any 2D project. Here you go, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, yeah that, that, that's a good call. That's that's uh it's interesting. I didn't know you were gonna pick this one, but also like I think the reason why I singled out Knives Chow is because I think all the other actors, like I think they're casted so well and their performance is so good, but I feel like she was the one that I just saw as that character. Like I didn't see a hint of the actor's persona in her. Like I feel like she just played that character so like such a commitment to that character and played it so yeah. well. Uh all good choices from that movie, you know what I mean? So, yeah. All right. Well, what is uh, your next one for the night? Yeah. So, uh, like I kind of was alluding to, the rest of my list is very uh, comic book heavy. So, <laughs> my apologies. I wanted to get some more like video game picks and stuff. But uh, my first pick. Um, well, I feel like I, I'm really glad then because my list will definitely um, uh, keep yours. Yours will stay that, but I'll be the opposite side of the screen. So go ahead. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, my next pick is maybe not the most like broad performance, but I feel like it was spot on and it did what it needed to do so well. And that was uh, Michael Jai White's performance as uh, Spawn in the uh, 1997 Spawn movie. Uh, this He played Al Simmons. He played Spawn, and I think he just pulled off the role really well. I think he was really believable. I think uh, 
when you look at the character and how he played um kind of from going to from like this like sort of military like sort of hitman persona into like uh you know and he ends up dying he ends up being resurrected as spawn i think he played all aspects of that role really well and uh when it goes down to it like drew kind of what you were saying about mary elizabeth winstead with her role as ramona his voice is kind of what i hear as spawn when i read the comics like he has a raspy badass voice that works so well and i know this actor did a uh i think it was on the history channel he did a documentary like he was the narrator and it was a documentary all about the history of comic books and he was just such a good person to pick as the narrator but yeah it's just that voice like it's so well played you know what i mean yeah um he i agree with you with the the voice uh, the language part of it, like when you read, it's like Kevin Conroy, when I'm reading a Batman comic, I hear Kevin Conroy. Yeah. When I watch, um, when I read a Spawn comic book, I hear that. The other the other part of the Spawn voice, which gets me sometimes, is the animated series Spawn voice. It's almost like a combination between Michael Jai White and that one. And I'm pretty sure that's David um, Haysbert, who did the animated series. Uh, he's also known for the Allstate commercials, but I'm going to have to double check that one. Um, <laughs> I did look it up. It is a different actor because I was kind of curious. I was like, did they get the same actor? But, oh, it says it's uh, Keith David played Spawn. Oh, it is. Okay. It, yeah. Anyway, so that's the other one that, um, I get every now and then in my head that, uh, that I'm always like, okay, you know, uh, that's, that's one that I hear sometimes and I'm just like, it's kind of a cross between the two of them, but you know, Michael Jai White, he did such a – that movie had a very difficult task of uh, producing to live action. And yeah, the trailer kind of sold it in terms of what they were doing because it was one of the first movies to use full CGI over a person, um, especially, like, you know, having, like, the CGI cape, the head having to be, like, the mask that has to come up CG. It was one of the first movies to do that. Um, and I thought it translated really well. Um, and then his performance on top of it. So, yeah, yeah, right on. It's uh, yeah, it, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun movie. It came out at an interesting time. It kind of came out at a time when uh, superhero movies were waning. Like it was released around the same time as Batman and Robin and uh, Steel with Shaquille O'Neal. And I think because of its timing, it's a little bit underrated. But I do think that. His performance, as well as some of the other ones, like, uh, of course, John Leguizamo had a great performance as the clown in that movie as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so my second pick of the night, this is my other cheat. Um, it's because I couldn't narrow it down. But when I was thinking about 2D animation, um, because it starts it starts as a comic and then it gets translated into a cartoon and then you have 2D animation. So you're doing t- 2D imaging, 2D animation and it's one of the most bizarre, crazy, wacky things. And someone says, this needs to be a live action series. Let's do it. And they did such a wonderful job as a whole putting this together, translating it. And that's One Piece on Netflix. Um, right. yeah. it is, I know it's new and I know it's fresh. And I talked about my love of the show and I thought it was so well put together. But, dude, I'm telling you. Take the time and watch One Piece. The adaptation of putting that together, no matter how bonkers it got, 
you bought it, you believed it, you were with it the whole time, you're along in the adventure, and by the end of it, you're like, I need more of this now. <laughs> um, and it's, yes, I know the anime's out there, but the live action specifically, like, it was so good. Um, how they handled the live action version of uh, Monkey D. Luffy, how they handled live action Zoro, which I think was probably one of the best representations from Paige uh, cartoon to live action. And I only say that because I think he really nailed the acting aspect of it. Uh, the actor who played Monkey, um, he really, there is some stuff like the way he talks, the way he like, like facial expressions, line deliveries, man, he was so spot on and getting that correct. It's, it's amazing. Um, so there's some great, great stuff in there, and that's and they just they really nailed it on the head. And I'm not talking just acting. Look at representation of set design and ship design, and having to put some of those wild images into live action. That's it's a chore on its own, but yeah. So that's awesome. What I got. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't watched this, so I've been meaning to. But yeah, uh, I don't know yeah, why. <laughs> thing I've. Uh, makes this sound amazing so uh yeah yeah good stuff yeah, get on it so anyway now i can go through my actual uh single characters but go ahead what's your next one yeah so my next one um i feel like this one was kind of a gimme pick but um i think she did a really good job playing uh the character she set out to do and that is uh margot robbie playing harley quinn um in the uh, numerous movies she's been in in the DCEU. But uh, for me, it really is going to go back to the first Suicide Squad movie when that came out, because whether people liked the movie or hated the movie, I feel like nobody had anything bad to say about Margot Robbie's performance. And I feel like she had a presence in the movie that it felt really fresh, but it also did feel familiar. And it felt like, I feel like, her voice was spot on as far as like how I would want a live action Harley Quinn to sound. I feel like she really embraced that character and uh, she stood on her own. Like she, she wasn't, it wasn't a performance of Harley that relied on the Joker being there. Like we saw in uh, birds of prey, for example, like she doesn't need the Joker to be there to uh, stand on her own. So I just think she did a really great job at this role and uh it's kind of weird but i don't know as far as like right now i don't know if i could see any other actor play harley quinn besides her you know she's kind of she's it like she's harley you know what i mean so uh yeah i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are on this one drew but uh yeah that's the next one i went with so yeah no i'm with you and the that i think you couldn't have cast it better Mm -hmm. And it couldn't have translated better. And it's very clear. Margot Robbie, I think, yes, you get at you get direction from your director. But I really think Margot Robbie did her research. And that's something that I've always that's probably one of the biggest questions I've always wanted to ask some of these more A-list stars who get to play comic book characters. When you look at Ben Affleck or Margot Robbie or Michael Keaton, let's go back to Michael Keaton. What did they give him to look at? You know, what books did they say? Did they hand him Dark Knight Returns and say, read this? Did they hand him, um, let's see, that would have been 89. So did they hand him some Dennis O'Neill, uh, 70s Batman and say, read this? Or did Tim Burton say, it's my vision, let's talk? You know what I mean? Yeah. Harley Quinn, did they hand her Mad Love and say, read this, let's talk, watch the animated series, let's talk about it. 
Um, you know, I've, that's the stuff I always wonder about. You know, what did they give them in terms of reading material? I know there's a, there's a really cool photo of um, Brie Larson reading uh, Captain Marvel. Um, or, or, yeah, reading Captain Marvel. And she's, it's, it's really great. It's just a photo of her sitting on a couch with a comic book in her hand reading away. And it's, it's an awesome photo because you're like, yes. They're doing the research. It could have been staged, but you're still like, yes, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's always a good debate about like when somebody's cast as a uh, comic book character, is it better to have them like read a lot of source material to get a good grasp of the character, or do you want them to kind of stay away from that and get a fresh take? And I'm with you, Drew, where I kind of want them to have that. Uh, appreciation of the history of the character like i want them to uh dive into the source material and de develop a love for this character and uh i know kind of to go along with the examples you were just saying uh with henry cavill you can see it a lot how uh, he read a lot of superman comics when he was pre preparing for man of steel and it's to the point where in certain interviews and stuff he'll talk about certain story arcs like he'll be like you know i loved like uh I'm trying like all-star Superman or, you know, I loved uh, the death of uh, the death and return of Superman and stuff. And like, he, he'll reference these stories and it's really cool to see. I feel like it just goes to show they're going to care for their craft that much more. And I know there's a little bit of the debate on like, well, maybe they want a fresh take and they want the actor to stay away from the comics, but I always think it's better the other way around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, I hear yeah. you, but yeah. Um, all right, so should we toss it back to me? So yeah, sure this, thing. One, this is one where I did not look up the actor. I guess I could look it up now. But this is one that I specifically brought in to discuss adaptation, 2D animation, 2D comic to 2D animation, to live action representation, getting it right on the first go. And it looks great. And I truly think it holds up. And that also goes into a costuming piece as well. And I'm referring to Shredder um, from Ninja Turtles. Um, All right. Live action Shredder, man. They they just so nailed that. Um, and I'll even go in far and say Super Shredder was nailed, too. But they <laughs> yeah, they really nailed it the first time around. He looked great. The helmet looked amazing. The gauntlets looked amazing. Like you were just like, yeah, like. He walked on. It was almost like I really feel like Shredder on scene in that movie. The first time you get to see Shredder was almost like, how do we we got to make this, this guy is our Darth Vader. So we need to give him that kind of a presence on screen when we get to see him the first time. Yeah, and I really felt they achieved that. And I really felt it made Shredder more menacing. So me as a kid liking the Ninja Turtles cartoon Going to see the live action movie made Shredder that much cooler going back to the cartoon when it's like, well, I want more Ninja Turtles. And right now all I can watch is the cartoon, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're the bigger turtle fan than I am. But thoughts on Shredder, man. No, th this is a really good call. Um, I think I do love that when you go back to the original Turtles movie, um, they really did play him up as this larger than life persona. And you look at the character and, you know, you have this you know, this martial artist who they threw, like he has a cape and he's got his helmet and he's got his uh, blades and stuff. And you, there's nothing about him that's like something that couldn't happen in real life. Like he's very grounded, 
But the way that he's shot, the way that he'll appear and he'll talk to uh, like some of the Foot Clan members and stuff, and he's backlit and he's got this like booming, echoey voice, and he's really presented in a larger than life way, but still really realistic. And I really like that sort of uh, play they had there. And I think it really does go to the memorability of this character. Um, but I also love like if you read like the very first Ninja Turtles comic, or at least the very first sort of like arc you have like the turtles facing off against uh the shredder on the top of a building and at the end of the fight they like knock him off the top of the building into a garbage truck and it plays off like so much like that original turtles movie so i think you're right like they stayed so true to the source source material they gave it the grit they had this character who had uh they gave it the grit in a time there wasn't grit okay yeah, Do you know what uh, I mean? Like they that was a time when super like technically, technically Ninja Turtles is a superhero film. Yeah, yeah, of course. When you look at what superhero films were, they really gave this a grittiness to it that wasn't there in other stuff. Yeah, you had the Tim Burton films, which were kind of dark, but there was yeah. a dark tone for a specific purpose because of that character. But this. I don't I I don't I think they could have done this. They could have done Ninja Turtles without that grit and it would not have translated as well. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good call. Like nothing felt everything felt lived in like kind of uh, it's weird to compare that movie to Star Wars, but it does have that sort of like everything felt lived in. Like you go to Shredder's lair and it feels very real like it feels like it's you know you have these the turtles are living in these dingy sewers like nothing feels clean and pristine and uh fake and that's what's awesome about especially that first movie and as that that original ninja turtles movie series went on the grittiness kind of faded away bit by bit uh what as you go through that series but it really started with that strong sense of uh realistic grit that was just so great so yeah good stuff yeah well i guess that rolls yeah it rolls it back to you so i thought that was, <laughs> right. I thought it was gonna be my pick again but no it's yours so on my list going out of margot robbie i'm going to another uh actor who i couldn't see any other actor play this character and it's not that nobody else could but i think this performance oh, comes the controversy <laughs> i think this performance has done such a good job to cement this actor as being like tied to this character and that is uh ryan reynolds performance as deadpool like i think he has just done such a good job bringing this character to life and he's really done such a good job of riding the line of being able to be a badass action superhero star while also being like a really hilarious comedic character. I think Ryan Reynolds obviously has a lot of love for the source material and the comics, because if he didn't, I frankly don't think either of the Deadpool movies would exist because that first movie, he was such a force into just getting everybody on board and being like, we got to bring the writers on set. We got to do this right. We got to do this by the comics. Um, he was really a huge advocate for making that movie even happen. And uh, I think he's done a beautiful job at bringing the Deadpool movies to life, you know, and uh, we've got the third one coming up and that's really exciting. But again, this is like trying to think the way I approached my list was looking for actors who I thought nailed the role so well 
And this is another one where I couldn't picture anybody right now playing Deadpool besides Ryan Reynolds. So uh, that's really why this one made my pick. Yeah, Deadpool as a film would not be as successful today as it was as it is if it wasn't Ryan Reynolds. For all the things you said behind the scenes, sure. But there is something about him as an actor, him as a personality that brings that to life in a way that I really don't think any other actor could. Yeah. You know, um, so good call with the Deadpool. Um, and I feel like it should have been mine, but there's a reason I did not choose Deadpool. I'll explain when I get there. <laughs> um okay. But yeah, so good call. Um, I, you really nailed it on a lot of things you said, so I don't know what to add. But Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right, this goes back to me, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here you go. This one harks all the way back to my childhood. This is a one where the performance was cool, sure. Um, the costuming, the makeup... The live action adaptation of this 2D thing that became a cartoon and then moved on, um, I think, I really do think, for the problems this movie had in terms of makeup, costuming, set, story, plot holes, all kinds of stuff, this movie had problems. Um, this still holds up, and I'm referring to live action Skeletor from the Masters of the Universe. Right. Okay. Um, this, the the prosthetics that they put over his face to make it look like a skull, but he's still able to, like, the movement and everything, the way that, like, and I don't know if it was just a rubber face combined with other makeup features or whatever, but the way he was able to move his face to evoke everything, the way they made his eyes, like, uh, concaved back, um, he had a really creepy style of talking, like, Skeletor was like, in, you know, in the comic books and the cartoon and stuff, he's a laughable villain. But when you read the comics, he's when you read the comics now, he's a very like tragic hero, uh, a tragic villain where like he's got a heroic backstory that kind of went bad, which is this is why he's the villain. Um, and the manipulation of like his fall from grace, if you will, to become a Skeletor. They don't go into that in the live action film for sure. But what they do is they make him he's a villain and they make him creepy and they make him like menacing in this amazing way. And when he talks, even though he's the bad guy and kind of looks gross, you can't take your eyes off him. It's your eyes. I look at that and I go, how did they get that face to do that? How did they like on a just on a costume and makeup level, just adaptation to live action? How the hell did they do that? Um, so yeah, Skeletor, that was, that's my pick for the night, but, um, yeah, it's, it still amazes me. I really think it holds up still. So. Yeah, I, th I think but, this is a great call. Um, I didn't see this one coming, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good call. And I feel like. I'm glad I'm the odd one out in terms of our comic book to <laughs> me throwing yeah. these weird ones out there. So. Well, I feel like you have Skeletor who is a, uh. I don't know. He He's like when you look at him on the page or on the old animated series, he has a skull head. But then he's got like this like he's got this purple suit with like a really muscular body. And I feel like his character design is so hard to transform 
transfer to live action, I think they did as good as they possibly could, where he's kind of like a weird human skeleton hybrid, which he looks a little bit different than the cartoon, but at the same time, that's kind of how he always looked. Um, okay. So I, I think that I think they did like a really good job of it. And I think the, uh, the 80s, like Masters of the Universe movie, like you said, it, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. There's a lot of weird choices. They definitely invented characters from the movie. Uh, the movie takes place on Earth instead of Eternia. There's a million things that you could gripe about. But the fact is, this movie came out in a time where superhero movies and stuff like this wasn't the biggest thing ever. And uh, it's kind of crazy that the movie got made. And uh, they, of course, had to change certain things just for this to happen. So I think this is a good call. And I think... Skeletor as a whole in that role in the live action version is super memorable. Like that is, you're right. That is a character design and a performance that will stick with you forever. So yeah, good call with that one. Yeah. All right, man. Number two pick of the night. What do you got? Yeah. So my next two picks are kind of, uh, again, go back to that sort of like, I couldn't see anybody else play this character. And I think this actor controversy spot on nailed the role as well as they possibly could and uh which is why that leads into my next pick which is uh robert downey jr portraying iron man um i think rdj did such a good job perform or portraying this character and you go back to that first iron man movie and uh iron man was kind of this sort of like off the beaten path comic book character and i went into that movie and at the time like admittedly like i had watched a handful of episodes of the old iron man series and i had read a handful of iron man comics like i was not like a super big fanboy but i remember watching his performance and just kind of being taken back to the few iron man comics that i'd read and just being like wow this is really who I pictured when I read those books. And I just think he, he nailed the role and he's another one who like, again, he just nailed it so much. And he's, he had such a strong presence as that, as that character that I really couldn't picture anybody else playing Iron Man at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I don't have any thoughts on this one, but for this one specifically, I feel like, yes, you're right. They couldn't have casted this any better. Um, but Robert Downey Jr. brings a charisma to the role right, that, I'm right. not, that I'm not sure is translated the way I think we all thought of Iron Man. Like when I read an Iron Man comic and I've even like, you know, just catching up on my Marvel stuff, knowing what I know about the films and still reading the comics. I don't know if I saw that Robert Downey Jr. charisma as I read the care, as I read stuff from about that yeah. character. Um, I don't know if I get that where it translated somehow to him and John Favreau to say, Hey, no, play it like this, you know? Um, and I, it translates so well, but he did such a great job of putting that in there and adding that charisma makes him this amazingly likable character. Because as I read the comics, I kind of always thought Iron Man was a bit of a douche. <laughs> not gonna lie he's he's not he's always he's always been a supporting character for me because i never like as tony stark in the comics always drove me nuts but in the con but in the movies i'm like yes more tony stark because you want to see downey jr just chew the scenery you know um, I, I think that's a really 
point. I'm glad you brought that up because I did think about his likability a little bit too when I was putting this list together because I do think that like, you know, I when I watched the movie, I was like, okay, there's the hints of like him being like this D-bag, like millionaire playboy. There's the hints of like his alcoholism and stuff. But I, I, I do agree, like he really brought this character to life in a way that made him likable and made him charismatic. And what you were all, what you were just saying, Drew, like as far as like when you read an Iron Man comic and you're not necessarily on board with this character it kind of makes it even crazier in retrospect that this is the movie that launched the MCU essentially, you know, like this was the first one they went with a character who was, had the potential to be somebody that nobody liked. (laughs) So I think that's an interesting way to get it as well, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, good call with Iron Man and you're, you're dead on incredible adaptation. It's interesting to say that, you know, I would like to say that the perfect representation of Iron Man matches the comic so well that you don't like the character, <laughs> like the way yeah. I was thinking. But it's almost like he elevated the character uh, to a level that we didn't see coming or we weren't ex- anticipating it to be. So I also think it was kind of cool that um, by the time you get to the Civil War movie, I feel like depending on where you sit, like, are you on Team Captain America or Team Iron Man? I do think there is a cool level of like, you know, up until then, I feel like nobody had a problem with Tony Stark or Steve Rogers. But depending on where you sit on that debate, as far as the uh, Sokovia Accords and all that goes, it is really cool that you can have Tony Stark, who's like, this really charismatic, likable character up until then, and then maybe you disagreed with him. And then I feel like that's a cool thing the MCU did where they tested your allegiance to certain characters and stuff. So that's another thing to uh, think about with uh, with all that that we're talking about right now. So Yeah, yes, it is. All right, so my final pick of the night. Now, I had the dilemma like you did, because when you told me about this list and I started putting it together, one of the things that made this list so incredibly difficult for me is the fact that I'm like, well, every comic book character that's been put on the live action is an adaptation of a 2D character somewhere. So I could literally make this all comic book characters. And I thought that's not fair, not only to the conversation, nor is it fair to the list. (laughs) Um, So where I ended up doing this kind of a backwards way is the fact that I was thinking to myself, okay, let's choose someone like Shredder. Let's choose someone like Skeletor. Let's shoot for like, all right, one piece for sure. I have to talk about this as as a series whole and just talk about the live action adaptation of this 2D project. Same thing with Scott Pilgrim. That's kind of how I was trying to focus this. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna allow myself one comic book pull. Nice. (laughs) Because there's too many choices in the realm of comic books. So my last pick tonight is my single direct superhero poll. I know, like I said, I know Skeletor, there's a Masters of the Universe comic book. I know there's a Scott Pilgrim comic book. I know there's a Ninja Turtles comic book. Same thing with One Piece. But this is the superhero poll for me for the night. Um, This goes back to, um, let's just, I'll just bury the lead on it. It's Batman. Okay, and I feel like you and probably all of our listeners knew I was going to say Batman just now. But when you think about where Batman came from, when you go all the way back to 1939, when he was introduced in uh, Detective Comics 27, leading up to 
you know, the first live action representation with um, uh, Wilson, Lewis Wilson, who uh, played uh, Batman in the uh, 1940s serials. Um, looking at that adaptation, and then you jump back to 2D comics that lead us up to the Adam West, uh, the Adam West performance, which leads us into the animated Super Friends, which leads us into, you know, back to uh, let's take it seriously and do Dark Knight Returns and the 1970s Batman stuff, and you know, bringing in all these other great writers, which leads us to Michael Keaton, which leads us to uh, the Batman the animated series. Which leads us to, yes, unfortunately, Batman and Robin, but it leads us to the Dark Knight trilogy and it leads us to the Ben Affleck Batman, the ad, which eventually gets us to Robert Pattinson. But when you look at the track record from 1939, building the adaptations, improving on the adaptations, when you look at the 1940s Batman serial and Lewis Wilson Batman, all they had to work with was the old comics. And but one thing they got very correct was they got the look of the costume right. He knew what they were trying to do. So they got some of the stuff right in terms of like, I mean, it was 1940s when they were doing it. So they couldn't do some of the things that they were able to even do in the Adam West. But they got the car right. The Batmobile looked exactly like the Batmobile in the comic books, um, which is kind of mind blowing. And just like, well, it's technically just a car, but it looked exactly like the, the Batmobile from the comic. Um the when you look at how comics got translated from the Adam West era and how they piggybacked off of each other and what they were doing with that show, just the representation built off all the way through has been absolutely spot on. I don't want to single out a specific actor because we can say Affleck's better than Christian Bale or Christian Bale's better than Affleck, we can then say, you know what, Michael Keaton's the best period. I don't care what any of you say. And we can have that argument, which is amazing. And I'm going to come back and say there is no Batman other than Kevin Conroy, who got to play him live action in the Arrowverse. So, right. <laughs> you know, when you look at the history lineage of this character and the adaptation throughout the years and the adaptation of what they went through, whether it's 2D or live action, there's been enough iterations where you're building such this amazing um, dichotomy of uh characters um it's it's this amazing it's you know i love that joke at the beginning of lego batman where he says dc the house that batman built and then he says i know superman came first but let's be real and it's true like i and i don't and i know superman came first but when you look at how batman outsells superman <laughs> You know, and I'm not trying to bury anything on Superman because it, those two are the shining two pillars for DC. But it's like the house the Batman built. You know what I mean? Um, when you look at the franchise, the adaptation for him. And I know I'm kind of going on and on and I'm not leaving you any room to say anything about Batman. But that's my pick for the night, man. <laughs> it's all good. I was going to say there's not necessarily uh, too much to add, but uh, it's. This is an interesting pick. I think it's a good pick, but it's also like it's pretty all encompassing. <laughs> so. Well, that's the thing. I was like, there's no way I can talk about this without it being all encompassing because I, you know, we can look at just the Christian Bale adaptation and say, there we go. We can look at the Robert Pattinson adaptation. You know what I mean? But then we can't ignore what they did all the way back in the 1940s that everyone kind of forgets is out there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> is where it gets tough drew because if somebody asks you what is your favorite adaptation of batman 
I know you're not going to know what to say. And I know that's because you're a true fan and no, you like many different I'm, versions for so many different reasons. You and, know that if someone asked me that question, the answer is the Batman animated series, hands down, period. Um, but if they ask me for live action, then we really got to sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess in the t- context of this list, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, good call. Um, but yeah, again, if I'm on yeah, I'm I'm any further, but good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you know, Batman's my final pick. And I feel like you're going to go the Superman route and school me on how I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, it's it's not that at all. Because um, I, I approach my list very different than you, but I did go to the... Uh, other side of that coin and went with a uh, super superman performance okay and i had to go with the classic i went with uh, christopher reeves uh performance as superman um from superman to uh superman 4 uh through the uh late 70s through the 80s and uh this is a performance that is very special it's very special in the um when you look at film history, I feel like this is one of the performances that stands out, especially when you look at science fiction and superhero films and stuff like that. But I think Christopher Reeve did such a good job performing this character that we're still talking about it. And we're still comparing every Superman actor, whether it's Tyler Hecklin or Henry Cavill or, you know, when... James Gunn's uh, Superman Legacy comes out, we're going to be comparison, comparing David Cornsweet's performance to Christopher Reeve. Like, it all goes back to this. And I know there was George Reeves played Superman before, and uh, kind of like what you were mentioning with uh, Batman, Drew, I know there was some old, like, Superman uh, live-action serials, like, back in the uh, 40s or 50s or whatnot. But I feel like in this day and age, it all goes back to Christopher Reeve. And he is somebody who brought a charm to the character. He brought a joie de vivre to the character. He brought an epicness to the character. And uh, he's somebody that you watched. And it's not only his charm, he also played the character in such a believable way. Um, I know there's a lot of people who talk about when Christopher Reeve was first cast as Superman, everybody said, well, he's tall enough, but he's kind of just like this gangly, skinny, weak guy. So like, Christopher Reeve had to work out. He had to bulk up. Like if you look, if you watch those old movies, he's not like huge, but I think he got pretty buff by like late seventies standards. But basically he went on to, I feel like he just played this character in a way that the whole world fell in love with. And uh, one of my favorite aspects of this character, uh, something that I've heard people talk about numerous times is how when Christopher Reeve, appears on screen as Superman. He embodies what that character is supposed to be. Like we're talking truth, justice, and the American way. We're talking about the morality that the character has. We're talking about the presence of that character, the mightiness, the strength and power of that character. But then he plays Clark Kent. And when he appears on screen as Clark Kent, he has that sort of dorkiness, that awkwardness. He has, he really shows how you can through simple, simple, subtle sort of changes in appearance, you can actually have somebody who, even though facially they look the same, you can believe that Clark Kent and Superman is a different person. And the genius behind Christopher Reeve's performance in that is that when he played Clark Kent, he would slouch more, he would 
walk different. Um, there's all these subtle little things to the point of where it was like a physical he did a physical performance with how he stood tall and proud as Superman and how he slouched and uh, kind of embraced his more like gangly awkwardness as uh, Clark Kent. And I think he did such a good job. And you don't have to take my my word for it. Like, look at how the rest of the world is still remembering this performance and loving it and talking about it to this day. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my last pick for tonight. So I couldn't um, think better one you know no and you can't because not only does everyone compare everything back to um all the other superman performances back to christopher reeve marvel compares every single character they put on the mcu back to christopher reeve's superman yeah every single one kevin feige has said several times that they don't start a marvel project without sitting down as a team watching the christopher reeve superman movie um, because they feel it's the tr- it's the best way to tell an origin story. It's the best way to tell a superhero story. It's the pinnacle superhero story. Um, so not only does everyone else look at it and go, hey, we got to look back at Christopher Reeve, Marvel does that with every single character they make a movie for. And that says something that says huge um, things about that character and the actor's performance. I'm glad you brought up the change between Superman and Clark Kent because he really did embody the idea of playing the two characters at the same time yeah. and switching roles quickly. There's those scenes where like he's at the door, he's at the window as Superman, but there's a knock at the door and Lois Lane runs across the apartment and there's Clark Kent <laughs> answering the door, you know? So um, I know that's, that's a little bit, you know, give and take with the cameras and stuff to get him in and out of costume to do the scene. But it's, it plays really well and knowing that he can do it the way he does, but it's that it stands out because when you look at it's think about the argument of, Oh yeah, of course the, uh, the Clark Kent glasses aren't going to hide you. They're not going to make you look like a different person. How could anyone not see you as Superman? It's, there's also a personality to it. It's the way you carry yourself. It's the fact that he doesn't look like Superman when he's Clark Kent because there's a physicality aspect to it. He's carrying himself in a different way. He's standing taller when he's Superman. He's slouching when he's Clark Kent. He talks different when he's Clark Kent. He doesn't have that confidence. Superman shows up and it's like this all empowering, like, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's amazing, like, what he did in that performance uh, straight through all four movies. So, yeah. Yeah, good call, man. I You couldn't pick the better one to close that out. So I just think it's funny that Batman and Superman end up being our final two picks of the night. Um, but this was, a fun con- this was a fun conversation because I was actually dreading going into this episode because I'm like, I did this list wrong. This was too difficult of a poll. Peter really messed this up. Five years in, here we go. This is the list that's going to break our show. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I was dreading this all week. I'm like, this is going to be a rough one. But here we go. Maybe I just didn't make it clear that I was specifically thinking about, like, actors and their performances. But uh, I think it did lead to a good discussion and you had some really good picks in there. So, uh, yeah, this is this is fun stuff. It's like, you know, superhero cinema and uh, live action adaptations of animated series and stuff. That's some of my favorite stuff to talk about in general. So, uh, yeah, good stuff, you know. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think it's time to close this episode out and talk about what we're doing next week. Now, normally this would be my pick, but my pick is going to get pushed for a few weeks here. So we're going to so I get a nice break to try and think about what I'm going to do next. And Peter is also going to get a break to think about what he's going to do next, because we have three built in schedules that we have to accommodate for. So you'll get to hear about those as we go. But it's that time of year once again when Peter and I have to look forward to the future and what is coming down the pipe. So next week, we'll be talking about our five most anticipated films of 2024, basically the things that we are most excited to see in the coming year, um, which will be great because there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. We keep getting, we keep hearing this. You talked about the massive list of stuff coming when we're just like, oh yeah, this is coming and this is coming. So I'm excited. I know you're excited. So Let's see what we're talking about. I'm pretty sure, spoiler alert, Deadpool 3 is going to probably make one of our lists, but I haven't looked at the full list of what's going to come out yet. So, yeah. Yeah, this is this is always a fun one. There's always, like, a mix of, like, stuff you've been looking forward to for a couple of years, but there's always, like, when you start to look at the list, there's always, like, random, just like, oh, I didn't know this director was releasing something this year. I know. So. You're just like, oh, seriously? When did I, how did, how did that slip through the cracks? You know, I, I remember, I remember back when we did this for 2023 that um, discussing on that episode, David Fincher's The Killer. And here I am finally getting to watch it, you know, so. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So next week, most antici- our anticipated movies of 2024 and the things we're excited about. And then we'll tell you what's happened in the next couple of weeks. But um, join us. It's going to be a fun ride. Um, Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you guys are ready for some more as we close out the year 2023 and look forward to the future. Uh, Peter, are you ready to close this one out and throw it in the can? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. All right, everyone, do us a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to our social media, along with our email, top5report at gmail.com. We are on... Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, You can follow me personally on X and Instagram at Drew3927. I'm trying to get my brain to wrap around that X title. Uh, Peter, what about you? I was gonna say we're back to uh, X apparently. Trying but... to trying to get myself to wrap my head around it, but go ahead. You can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be letting you know that I'll see your time turner and raise you as a Mechus cube. Oh. <laughs> well put, man. Well constructed. All right, everybody for the top five report. I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.